and welcome to our newest episode on crystals, minerals, and gemstones. We're excited to delve into this topic. Um, however, I'd like to start out with a little bit of science here, which is not my thing. So you geologists out there are probably gonna be cringing here, but I had a little conversation with my friend who's a geologist and she tried to clarify a few things for me and I wanted to start off by sharing that with you. Okay, let's see if I can do this without screwing it up too much. So let's talk about a rock. We have a rock. Each rock has its own composition of certain percentages of minerals. Some of these rocks have quartz in them. Now, rocks are made up of these minerals. Crystals are a mineral within that rock. And when we're talking about quartz, quartz specifically is a mineral within that rock. And when it's this beautiful quartz crystal, it comes out that way because it has cooled beneath the surface of the earth very slowly. Now, gemstones are the same thing. They are these crystals. However, they are much more pure and maybe some water hasn't got to them or they were super protected. So they end up being much more rare and much more clear and beautiful, but they all are crystals and gemstones and minerals are all the same. And Jude, this is interesting. My friend was telling me that in the case of Hawaii, because of the volcanoes, all of that molten rock is brought to the surface and it cools really quickly. So therefore, Hawaii doesn't have natural crystals or natural quartz because it cools so quickly. So in order for these things to form, they form beneath the surface and they cool very slowly. Actually, Patty, um, you, are, you are correct that there isn't an abundance of natural crystals here in Hawaii that are known of, but I was gonna talk about the lava rock during this yeah. discussion. And there is a little mineral called peridot or olivine. It's a little tiny green crystal that you'll see embedded within the lava rocks oh, I um, love everywhere. Peridot. It's sort of like peppered in, you know, it's like these little twinkling little green rocks and the Hawaiians say it's oh. Pele's tears. So there is this. So there is one. There is one. It's these, it just grows in these very tiny little pieces um, it must form very quickly because it, it does come up to the surface. And I, I'm not really sure the science behind how it's formed, but um, you can tell your friend there is that one little gemstone that I know of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So interesting. All right. So now that we've said that, let's get into the juicy spiritual side of crystals, minerals, and gemstones. These are basically what I like to call energy magnifiers. It's believed that crystals and gemstones have the ability to interact with and actually shift our energy fields. They can have a profound effect on us both physically, mentally, and spiritually. And this isn't just a new age thing. You know, there have been many ancient cultures that have used crystals and gemstones for healing. We go back way back into early Egypt, early Greece, in Chinese medicine, and as a matter of fact, there's a common practice today where the needles used for acupuncture in Chinese medicine are tipped with rose quartz, which is super cool. So we know that we are all energy, that everything is energy, and our personal vibrational frequency is continually changing and shifting, and it's affected by many, many different variables. And humans radiate at about 7.83 hertz. Rose quartz radiates at 350 hertz. So we're going from 783 to 350. 
it's such a high vibration. And we know that when we are around high vibrational people or in areas of higher vibration, it raises our vibration. So this shows you how important using crystals for healing can be. If you're using something with such a high vibration, it is going to raise your vibration. And we know that raising our vibration helps us to heal, helps us to balance our energies. So whether you're holding a stone in your hand, whether you have it placed on your body or wearing it in jewelry, it's super powerful. And being an energy magnifier, we can use this to help us magnify our intentions, our thoughts, our healing, using it in rituals. It's a tool to help us magnify our purpose. And also what's super interesting is that quartz crystals are used in a lot of electronics. They're in our iPhones, they're in our TV screens and satellites. They're used to actually emit energy and be a conduit for energy. So we can use them as a conduit for our own energy to help us boost our intention and to help us heal. I personally use them in my meditation mist that I make. What I do is I'll choose a stone that matches the purpose that that mist is supposed to manifest, and it actually magnifies that purpose. I also use them in my readings. Next to me, I have an amethyst and I have a black tourmaline. And if I'm in the middle of a reading and I get stuck, the flow of information isn't coming in very clearly. I will grab the amethyst to help open up my crown. Or if I'm reading someone and they're emitting a lot of dark energy or a dark entity shows up around them or something, I will grab my black tourmaline to help protect me. So we can use them for a multitude of purposes. Jude and I, we're going to be talking about how we use them personally, but I think Jude, you also use them in alignment with the chakras. You can use different stones for different chakras. And when you use them with a chakra, you're also tapping into the emotional, physical, and energetic imbalances inherent within that chakra. So it's opening up chi, it's helping flow and that prana move, and it's helping us to balance and heal whatever ailments are going on with that chakra. Okay. So chakras and gemstones are believed to be healing and balancing, stress reducing. Um, they help open up flow and prana. They help raise our vibration. Some people use them to call in ETs. They help block and clear negative energies, magnify our purpose or intention. They serve as a protection from negative energies. They help shift and heal our auric field. They can open us up to greater abilities to travel astrally, astral travel, and for multidimensional activity. And they can help heal spiritual blocks, physical pain, trauma, and ailments. So in a nutshell, they are these powerful, magical tools that have the power to promote physical and mental wellness. So whether you're wearing them as jewelry, meditating while holding one, or even just have one in the same room as you, it can make a big difference in what it is you are trying to accomplish, and it can just heal you and shift the energy in the room. So that's my spiel, Jude. Wow. I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, thanks, Patty, for a thorough explanation on gemstones, crystals, and minerals, and that they are, in fact, all the same thing, but with varying degrees of purity. I have had conversations with people about crystals between believers and non-believers, and one conversation that sticks out was with an actual geologist who just absolutely refuses to believe that there's metaphysical properties or you know, spiritual aspects to any of the stones, because they're really looking at it from this like scientific 3D observation. And 
they were so hard in their opinion, which actually made me a little sad because I wasn't going to sit there and try to argue to a geologist that there's metaphysical magical properties in the stones if they didn't want to believe it. From my perspective, I mean, there's so many layers of magic and energy that comes from the stones. It's not only where they were harvested from, the color holds a frequency, the molecular makeup, the crystalline structure under a microscope, the geometry of how that stone is made also carries a particular flow to it. How the stone is cut, if it's holding a certain shape, we can make a sphere and it will change an energy to making a pyramid will change the energy or a skull, you know, might invoke a different energy when we look at a particular stone. Who owns it? Who's holding it? What kind of energy is it absorbing around it can also affect a stone. There's so many subtle layers within gemstones that, yes, hold and harness and amplify different frequencies. And if you are adept to listening very quietly, within these metaphysical spaces, you can communicate and pick up those energies and understand them. I absolutely 100% without a doubt, believe that I know that I, I experienced it with my own senses, you know, these conversations with the stones. I think there are so many people who are just so distracted by this physical reality and what's going on and the stresses and the responsibilities, the monkey mind and all the chatter that's going on. It's very difficult for certain people to be able to really quiet their mind and listen into those subtle layers. But if you get in practice with that, it's just like, as we were saying, communing with nature, being able to feel the spirit of the trees of the land, being able to communicate with your guides. It's a very similar quality of being able to center and quiet and be in the stillness to be able to listen and communicate to gemstones. And that's why I think so many people can poo-poo on it so very quickly. They're like, I don't know. I don't feel a difference between this rock or the other rock. But I invite you all, for those of you who are new to gemstones and crystals, to work in that way. You really got to be in a nice, calm, center, quiet, elevated vibration in order to connect with these stones and pick up their personalities, pick up their medicine, pick up conversations. You know, to me, stones, I've talked about it in other podcasts about how I've found that I had an ability to speak to stones and they do, they have a personality, they have a consciousness to them. It's not like talking to a human. It's not like talking to an animal, but there is a consciousness there and there is intelligent exchange that can happen between us and them. It's a really great way for you to practice and enhance your own intuitive and psychic abilities by really sitting with these stones and seeing, you know, what comes up journal about what you're getting. You're going to find that if you go online and you look up properties, metaphysical properties of stones and healing properties of stones, that there's going to be differences along the board. There's going to be a lot of similarities, but you'll get a lot of different people who feel different things. And there's a lot of books out there where specific crystal channelers have sat with stones and have written what they perceive these stones to be carrying. And I align with a lot of them for sure. And I've definitely found properties within stones that 
maybe aren't widely popular. You know, maybe this particular stone has some specific magic or invokes some memory or feeling for me that is not going to do the same for everyone else. So this is not an exact art form or an exact science. This is like really working from that intuitive place and finding out how these stones really work for you. But we are going to share some of the well-known, more common metaphysical properties that we know from some of our favorite stones. But I think more or less because Patty and I actually really align with those feelings. And I think there's something to be said when many people or the collective all agree that certain stones do something, it sort of also amplifies that property. So crystals are so magical. And as I said, they work in so many layers. And I'm excited to get into this conversation and see, because Patty and I have not discussed what our list of favorite stones are. So I'm actually really curious to see if we have a lot of the same or a lot of different or what's going on there. So we were thinking because we like to talk about the chakras so much, and we believe that the chakras is a really great roadmap for you to understand your energy, that we will discuss some of the stones that we really love to work with, with specific chakras. And this is where my curiosity comes in and wondering if Patty and I feel the same for certain specific chakras. Um, I wanted to just say that I fully agree with you about these crystals having personalities. So we can take a crystal that is known as, let's say, let's use rose quartz again, as a heart balancing chakra. So you go to the store to buy a rose quartz. When you're there, within the properties of a rose quartz, each stone that's there, like you said, depending on whether it's tumbled, depending on whether it's raw, if it's a, a pyramid, if it's an orb, those things are going to add meaning or add a different quality to it. But each stone is going to have its own individualized personality as well. This is why, you know, you'll run your hand over the, the top of this table of stones, or one will just call you or speak to you. Many times a stone will call to you or jump out at you because it is either in alignment with your vibrational frequency or in alignment with specifically what your need is or what you're choosing it for. So I order stones online, but I really, really love to go see them in person and be able to actually touch them and hold them and feel them. Because I believe you can pick up two pieces of rose quartz that look very similar. And one is going to have a much different feel than the other. They have these personalities and it's important that you're able to pick one that aligns with you. And again, you may be going to buy rose quartz for your heart and something totally random speaks to you instead. And you should always follow your heart and what seems to be calling for you rather than going by what is written. Now, there are some excellent books out there, and I'll give you the names of these before we close up the two that I like. But again, do your, your homework and your research, but trust your gut on what you choose. Agreed. All right. This is going to be fun. So Jude and I work with the chakras. The chakras, as many of you know, have an element and a planet and a color, and we can choose crystals or stones within the color or the elements of this particular chakra to help balance it. But the range is pretty big. It doesn't always have to be a color that's aligned with that specific chakra. It's best to be open when you're choosing things and choosing again, what speaks to you. All right. Root chakra. So the root chakra is about grounding and being present and having our needs met and feeling safe. And the color of the root chakra is red. So red stones work here. My personal favorite is red jasper. 
Okay. Well, mine is black <laughs> tourmaline and smoky quartz. Now, I love the red stones. I love garnet and ruby and all of those. But when it comes to the root chakra and grounding, I want something that's like intense. I want something that's just going to like blah, bring me right to where I need to be, to clear, to protect, to ground, all of that. And I really find that obviously with black tourmaline, we've discussed that so many times here on the podcast. And smoky quartz is also a favorite that has very similar sort of frequency as black tourmaline. Though black tourmaline to me has more of that instant grounding, instant drawing down sort of energy. Yeah. That's so interesting because I'm kind of the opposite. When I'm grounding, I want it to be kind of soft and gentle and kind of, I want to slowly sink into the planet. And I use black tourmaline. You introduced me to black tourmaline. I use black tourmaline and smoky quartz all the time, but I use them when shit gets intense, when there's a super negative energy or something very heavy, or I'm trying to protect or clear myself from something specific. Um, so that intensity that you utilize for grounding, I utilize that separate from chakra balancing, but I definitely use them a lot. They're That's too much. Interesting. Face. Yeah. I haven't really worked with any of the red stones in particular to grounding, but I could see me using red stones more in that sacral root chakra space. My divine feminine. I, I feel drawn to that when you're talking about it like that, but yeah. Interesting. I thought we were for sure both going to say black tourmaline. <laughs> yeah. All right. What do you use for your sacral? Sacral, I'm drawn to tiger's eye. That's mine. Oh, see, I use that in solar plexus. Interesting. Yeah. What do you use for sacral? Sacral, I really like carnelian. You know, carnelian, the carnelian stone's all about sexuality and vitality and action and confidence and courage. And so it's got some properties that help open up the pathway between the sacral and the solar plexus. But um, carnelian, I go with orange. You know, what's interesting now, this is a, a little bit of a deep story. When I was little, I must've been maybe three years old. My very first gemstone that I ever knew about was the tiger's eye. My uncle had a big tiger's eye ring. And I remember being maybe three years old and you hear the word tiger's eye and it's got that shimmer to it. And I, you know, we think at three years old, it's actually a tiger's eye and we're right, trying yeah. to figure it out and it's the coolest thing. And then my brother got this like little tumbled tiger's eye stone at that time. And we loved that thing. Like we would almost fight over who got to hold it or who got to have it. And it was in our house for years and years and years. Nowadays, I'm sure if you scoured, you'd find tumbled stones like dropped on the rug and in the corner and in the plants and they're all over the place. But this one little tiger's eye followed me around in my youth. Um, and tiger's eye is well known to be like a protective stone. Obviously you think of a tiger's eye, it's protection. Um, it's supposed to release fear and anxiety. And it is also one of those ancient stones that the Egyptians used. They used to put them in the statues in the actual eyes because they believed that the shimmer of the tiger's eye expressed some sort of divine vision. Now it's interesting to me because at that time I was going through a lot of trauma that was around my sacral. So me thinking back how this tiger's eye was sort of this like little beacon of light or this stone that manifested in my life. And it was a constant. I remember it always being there. I, I almost remember it being like a daily thing for like a few years of my life. Like it was always on the shelf, on the table, we were playing with it. And it was sort of like this this magical amulet that existed that we believed since we were super little that it had some supernatural quality to it. 
every time I held that stone, I always felt like it was something extraordinary, you know? So yeah, I think that I still, to this day, come back to that tiger's eye and always associate it with the journey I've had to go through with my sacral and, and sacral healing. And yeah, so that's my connection to tiger's eye for the sacral. That makes a lot of sense because I, I choose tiger's eye along with another one I'll go into for the solar plexus because it's a very empowering stone. So it makes sense to me that healing that you needed some empowerment around the virtues that come along with the sacral chakra. So for you, it seems like it brought that to you as well. I still, to this day, absolutely love tiger's eye. It's just such a beautiful stone. Okay. Going into solar plexus, what is your favorite stone to work with? Well, I have two here and I have tiger's eye for one. I like to think of the tiger's eye as kind of looking out on my path and making sure I'm on my path. And the other one I have is honey calcite. Um, you know, the, the planet for the solar plexus is the sun and honey calcite just reminds me of summer and sunlight. And it's this beautiful kind of milky yellow color. And it's all about insight and confidence and persistence. And those are traits that I see in balance with the, or in unison with the solar plexus. So I use honey calcite and tiger's eye, and I will put a piece of carnelian in my belly button if I'm working on my sacral and also a piece of honey calcite or tiger's eye in my navel if I'm trying to work on my solar plexus. It's just a nice little bowl to set the crystal in there while I'm setting my (laughs) intentions. Well, I'm really surprised how different we are. So mine was citrine. Well, citrine is like this beautiful yellowish quartz looking stone. Now there's a lot of quote unquote fake citrine out there. For those of you who are not aware, a lot of the citrine that you find in the gem and mineral stores are baked amethyst. So it's just amethyst that has been put in the oven and heated. And then it turns like this very deep amber, orange and yellow color, and they sell it as citrine. Now, natural citrine is done the same way. It's basically amethyst that has been slow heated in the natural world over a long period of time. But natural citrine tends to be a little bit more clear. And there is yellow colors, brown, amber colors mixed in. And it tends to be a little bit more pricey if you're going to purchase a stone. So it's kind of good to know if you're looking for citrine specifically that you are getting natural citrine. Now, does it mean that the baked amethyst is junk and we shouldn't give it any love? No, I don't believe that. I think that it's beautiful in itself and there's something to be said about that color frequency and still the structure, the molecular structure of the stone is still there. But sure, if it's natural, I feel like it would have a more potent amplified energy to it than something that was made very quickly. I have baked amethyst citrine. I think it's beautiful. I love the color of it. So to each their own, you know, there's a big debate about it, but a lot of people don't know that that's what's going on with their citrine. Also, I've had in the past, people ask me, reach out to me and say, how do I know I'm buying legitimate stones, not fake stones? And to me, it's so quite obvious, you know, I'm like, but I've also been dealing with gemstones and minerals since I was a teenager. So I can tell just by holding a stone if it's real or not, but people who are just getting into uh, crystals and whatnot might not know that Uh, one way that you can really tell if you have a real gemstone and not 
glass, you know, with any of the quartz family is that gemstones tend to feel cooler to the touch. They're not going to absorb your body heat as much as glass will. Glass will like be room temperature or just as warm as your hand. And there's like a, just a different kind of sort of softness and weight to it. So that's one of the ways that you'll know, but I don't think baked citrine is considered a fake stone, but is it ethical that they call it citrine? I don't know. So back to citrine and why I like to use it. I see citrine as attracting good luck and success and abundance. Um, it's a great manifesting stone. I feel a lot of movement in the citrine. In ancient times, they used to use citrine for purifying toxins in the body, improving your blood circulation. It helps improve your immune system. And it works with digestion, which is also a solar plexus space. Yeah, I would reach for the citrine first if I was going to be working with the solar plexus. That's so interesting about it being baked amethyst. I've never heard of that before. You know, I don't know. A lot of people are poo-pooing on it and they're just, you know, completely offended by the baked amethyst situation. And I still think they're super beautiful. I love them. I think they're great. I would never not buy one just because I know it's baked amethyst, but true citrine is a little bit different. It's just not going to have that deep amber color. It's a little bit more clear and there's more striations in it. And so, yeah. So next time you go shopping for citrine, just ask if it's true natural citrine. So there's a tip for you. Okay. Heart chakra. I have two that I use here. The most well-known stone for the heart chakra is probably rose quartz and emerald. Now emerald is my birthstone. I wear emerald every day. I have a lot of emeralds. To me, they both are heart chakra stones, but they work in different ways. I feel like the rose quartz is very soothing and loving and kind and calming and very peaceful. It's very, very healing when on kind of the softer, sweeter note, where I feel like the emerald has much more active energy, is much more healing. It works with compassion again, but in a little bit of a different way. It just seems like it has a little more intensity to me. So I, I actually rarely use rose quartz. I almost always go for the emerald stones and, you know, there are lab produced emeralds out there. And I know they're good for the planet because we're not mining the planet, but it does not have the energy of an actual emerald stone. If you hold a lab produced emerald stone in one hand and an actual emerald, it's going to feel totally, completely different and have a completely different vibrational frequency to it. So emeralds are about compassion and healing and balance and is a stone that I use all the time for heart. How about you, Jude? For heart chakra, I love the rose quartz. It's my go-to. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's the only, uh, and, and I feel like, cause I need that soothing softness in my heart chakra. My heart chakra tends to be one of those places that I feel like I'm always trying to dig back another layer of healing here. And the heart and the rose quartz has been amazing. Uh, the, the rose quartz is, I mean, the rose quartz is the one that feels the best to me in the heart chakra. That's so interesting that in the root chakra, I need that more gentle and you go with something a little more intense and we're kind of the opposite in the heart. So throat chakra, my favorite stone for the throat chakra is turquoise. I love turquoise. Turquoise uh, promotes optimism. It gives you a sense of purpose, communication, living in your truth, and it is a protective stone as well. 
I would love to be draped in turquoise, but it's a stone that I have a hard time finding. There's a lot of, uh, you know, fake turquoise, yeah. which is just a dyed howlite. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but there's true mm -hmm. turquoise is, is so special. I, I just absolutely love turquoise. I agree. True turquoise has a totally amazing energy to it. Like you can really feel the difference. Yeah. Beautiful. And isn't it amazing that nature just makes that color like that? Like it's just yeah. special in itself. Like it's such a brilliant blue color. What do you use for the throat chakra? I like two again. I'm sorry. I know I should stick to one, but um, I like aquamarine and also lapis. I also use lapis for the third eye. So for me, aquamarine is, again, very soothing and calming and opens up flow, but in a gentle way. I suck on an aquamarine stone a lot if I have something going on where it's like difficult for me to state my truth or I'm feeling blocked there. It, it's very gentle and opening. Now, lapis, I use lapis a lot to open up my throat chakra when I'm kind of working with my third eye. If I'm doing a reading, if I'm doing a meditation class, I feel like the lapis opens up my throat, but it also opens up the flow between the throat and the third eye. And again, it's a little, a little more energy behind it and a little more active for me. That's cool. I actually love aquamarine for the third eye, which is what we're going to. I know it's good for the throat chakra as well, but I also have this insanely awesome connection with aquamarine above all other stones. I just absolutely oh. love aquamarine. It is my most favorite stone. It's also known for sharpening your perception and intuition and allowing clear communication, which would be yes, communication through the throat chakra, but I also think intuitive communication, telepathic communication. I love laying down with aquamarine on my forehead. I just find it to be like the most clearing, relaxing, settling energy. And I just love the color of it. Such a beautiful stone. And then I do have a second stone for this one, which would be labradorite. I loved Labradorite the second I saw it. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought it was like, it reminded me, I think it brought up that nostalgia around tiger's eye, but Labradorite to me has that dark background to it and that shimmer. So there's this like depth and this mystery about it, but it's known to be really good for psychic protection, psychic abilities, raises your consciousness. And I've always known it to be something that enhances the dreams you know, astral travel, things like that. So I like to keep it, you know, next to the bed or I've slept with it in my pillow or underneath my pillow. One of my favorites. And that's, and that's for your third eye or is that for throat? Third eye, both third of eye. those for the third eye. Yeah. Okay. I like uh, lapis and azurite. Azurite is a really cool stone. Usually it shows up in like a stone with little pieces of like bright, almost iridescent turquoise looking pieces in it. Yeah. It's pretty rare to find it alone by itself and find it just in a chunk. It's usually within something else. Like if you go to get it, you'll usually get a, a piece of rock with some of it in there. Um, but it's got this really like fluorescent green and this fluorescent blue. It's kind of a, a trippy stone. And then amethyst. Amethyst, and a lot of people like amethyst for the crown. It's great for opening up flow between the third eye and the crown. But I use it for both of those things. I use it again, like I said earlier, when I'm doing psychic readings, if I get stuck, if the information stops flowing, I grab it and it helps open up my third eye and my psychic abilities and helps me connect. Now the crown. I like amethyst 
and clear quartz for the crown chakra. I just think it's very clarifying and very opening. And the purple hues to me, when I look at amethyst, I think of like wisdom and serenity and spiritual connection. And yes, it'd be really great for the third eye, but I tend to associate it with my crown chakra. And of course the clear quartz, it's just an all around fabulous stone. I think clear quartz is the all day, every day for every situation type of stone. It does everything. It's has this ability to just clear and move energy, amplify energy. Uh, I see clear quartz as being really great record keepers. Like they can hold imprints of energy because I think there's less interference with all the other, you know, colors and different things that give it different attributes. But with my quartz collections, or if I'm holding other people's quartz crystals, the clear ones, I feel like I can pick up way more information about the area it's in, who it's with, and including my own quartz crystals, like picking up like little imprints of other memories of other places I've been that I might not have thought about until I picked up that quartz crystal and I'll immediately start getting sort of like psychic transfers of, of things that that particular quartz has been around. But yes, I love it for the crown chakra, but I also love it for basically everything. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I kind of think that uh, clear quartz is something that can work for each one of the chakras. And like you said, it's a good everyday all over. So for me, the crown is amethyst. And lately I have been using apophyllite. Now apophyllite looks mm-hmm. like a quartz crystal, but it's super clear, you know, just crystal clear. It's most commonly clear, but it can also come in white, green, or light gray. It, it's said to bring light into your DNA and help balance your DNA. It's also associated with the angelic realm, interdimensional travel, buoyancy, and it's used for the crown and the third eye. I have used diamond in meditation quite a bit. With a group of people, we have brought a diamond structure, you know, a faceted diamond into the room. And we have utilized that and used all the faceted facets because it's so clear. It can really kind of guide you in all different places. And it's associated normally with the third eye and the crown and expansion and a link to the divine. And then there's Herkimer diamonds. And if you can't afford a real diamond, you can buy a Herkimer diamond, which is actually a quartz crystal, but it also helps raise your vibration, help with the dream state, help open up visions, helps tap into spiritual wisdom and awareness. And it is also associated with the crown and the third eye. And I have a little tiny jar. It's the cutest little miniature jar filled with Herkimer diamond kind of tiny, tiny little pieces. And I will get that out sometime. I don't really use diamond or Herkimer to balance my chakras, but I do use them for other purposes because I know you and I both, there are chakras that we use outside of the chakra system. So I'm curious what some of your favorites are outside of balancing the chakras. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, There's a lot of really gorgeous gemstones that are very rare and very expensive. I'm thinking of one of my friends who's a gemstone dealer. And when I go to his house, his bedroom drawers are filled with a lot of very expensive stones. I almost feel like, should we be pulling these out and like, (laughs) should I know that these are all here? You know what I mean? Because I I know how much value that these stones hold, but he has this incredible eye of being able to scout out and find incredibly rare, very gemmy. And when I mean gemmy, I mean like really clear, perfectly structured natural stones of all these names and from all these places. And he's so knowledgeable about it. And there's some in that collection that I am just 
when you feel that thrill and that zing and you're just like, oh, I would love to sit with the stone, but you know, I don't have $20,000 to take this thing home right now. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like, you know, there's so many of those, you know, what a treat to have a friend like that, that has these beautiful stones. One of the ones that's been calling my name that I want to work with that I haven't worked with is called Rainbow Lattice Sunstone. Have you seen that yet? No, uh uh-uh. I'm familiar with sunstone, but I've never heard of rainbow lattice. It's a sunstone and it has these like striations of lines that are vertical, horizontal, and angled. And they're all kind of like checked around each other. And it has a refraction of like a pastel rainbow color. And I am really wanting to get a piece of that and, and try that just from the photos and just, it has sort of an, almost an angelic sort of quality, a very high vibrational quality to it. I want to work with that. So that's not one that I've worked with yet, but you all should look that one up. It's super beautiful. Please don't buy it all because I still want to get a piece of it. It's not terribly expensive, but one of the minerals that I work with outside of the chakras is gold. Mm. I love gold. I feel so good when I wear gold. If I could just drape myself in gold 24 seven, and it's not a money thing. It's not a value thing at all. It just feels so good to me. They say gold is a master healer mineral. And yes, it's, it, it tracks wealth and abundance and all of that, but they say it helps you master your spiritual development and it enhances your progress spiritually. And I feel that. It's the only mineral that I can wear. The only thing that I can wear that I don't feel like I have to clean it. Like I have to go take it to the ocean or, oh, this, this one is sad. There's something like a, a, it's a conduit. So I feel like it's always just moving energy. It's always clearing energy. And it makes me feel more aligned or it makes me feel like my energy is flowing clear whenever I wear gold. I agree. I'm a, I'm a gold girl too, over the silver. Uh, silver just feels pretty, but gold feels in attunement with, yes. with who I am and speaks to me. And then, you know, another mineral is copper. A lot of people utilize copper in their spiritual work. For me, gold has more etheric, kind of a multidimensional energy where I feel like copper is very grounding and it's a high vibration, but it has more of an earthly connection. I agree, agree with that? that. Yeah. And the gold has like sort of a smoother current to it. Like I feel mm-hmm. like it moves through many layers evenly where I could feel that copper being more raw and more grounding. And then silver, it's lovely, but it never really aligned with me. It's not one that speaks to me or calls to me, but and I don't know why. What, what's yeah. your vibe on silver? I, I kind of feel like, and maybe it's because it tarnishes, but maybe this isn't aligned with it. I feel like there's a lot of energy that runs through silver and that's mm-hmm. why it tarnishes. It collects a lot of energy. Yes, so when yes. I wear it, I can't wear it for very long. It just feels like it's full to me or like it collects a lot of energy where gold and copper, even though they serve different purposes, I wear gold every day. And for me, it feels very protective. And I feel like it it kind of takes ownership of my own energy rather than picking up whatever is out there where I feel like I silver agree with up. you. Yes. I think like, yes, silver would be a conduit for all spectrums of energy. Gold has a very specific conduit of energy. And then that, yes. And the copper is very grounding. It's very earthy kind of mm-hmm. energy. So, you know, that's opinion, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel the same thing. Absolutely. So one stone that I wanted, I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about this is Moldavite. Oh, just, now, I was right on the list. It's the one I'm looking at. I got a lot to say about the Moldavite. I, th- I figured you would. So Moldavite is something that I do not use 
very regularly, but it's something that I pull out occasionally when I'm really doing my stuff. It's all about transformation, spiritual evolution, chakra activating, it's cleansing and protection. It works with ascension. Um, it helps us open our pathway to our destinies. It clears blockages. But for me, it has a really, really strong ET feeling and hundred percent like okay good the so, consciousness of it the, the personality as i said is very et and very intense okay i'm glad you agree with that because that is the reason why i pull it out infrequently is because you know i know you're much more comfortable with the et energy than i am and there are times when i use it but it can kind of max me out pretty quickly it's a pretty intense stone for me to work with where i am assuming it's right in alignment with you is that true Actually not. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Okay. So I have this like long standing relationship with Moldavite. And I feel like it's like this entity that abruptly entered my life, like almost in this shocking way, like a forceful meeting that I'm still processing to this day. You know, when I was younger, of course I was super mystified the first time I was introduced to Moldavite. It's like a space stone and, you know, it has this whole big lore behind it. And of course I, I felt its intensity as soon as I touched it. And, and I didn't really know what to make of that kind of buzz that I felt off that stone when I was a teenager, the first time that I encountered it. But coming into my 20s, my partner at the time had a Moldavite necklace and on occasion I would wear it and I would notice that I would feel really nauseated and sick and unwell for a period of time. And one day I finally figured it out. It was this necklace. And it was, as soon as I would take it off, the nausea would immediately go away. And I would feel like I could breathe. There was almost like this heaviness that I would feel when I would wear that Moldavite. And since that time, I've noticed that pattern throughout the years. Now, Moldavite is for the heart chakra. And I've said, I've had a lot of congestion in my heart chakra. So I think about sort of my trigger with Moldavite now as an adult and knowing how to work with my energy. And, and part of me is like, maybe I should pick up a piece of Moldavite and try it again, because I don't have a, as many unprocessed emotions as I did when I was younger. And maybe that is why it was so overwhelming and intense to me. Now, what is interesting is I just recently took a trip and I met a gemstone connoisseur who was very intense. And I, he was a lovely person, but he was one of those starseed ET people that I felt like didn't fit in a human body. And it was super <laughs> obvious. And, and, and I even asked him right to his face, like, you know, you're not from here. He's like, I'm aware. And I was like, okay, you know, super obvious. But in the middle of this one conversation, he reveals to me that he's wearing this necklace full of Moldavite. I started kind of like mowing over my mind if it was actually the Moldavite that was amplifying his ET essence that oh. I thought was intense because I had been around him for the entire day at that point. I didn't even know until the evening that he had that Moldavite around his neck. And I introduced him to the podcast, so he might be listening right now. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it wasn't him, but it was like reconnecting with that energy of that Moldavite. And he asked me right then and there, like, well, what is it? What are you feeling off this Moldavite? And I really sat with it with him in that moment and reconnected to that remembrance of this ET consciousness that's in there that is very intense. It almost has sort of like this commanding or demanding or like you must align with it. It's so strong. The hum of that stone, like it almost forces you. It's, it's like a big, loud noise. It's like if somebody was playing the stereo too loud 
for me. Like maybe if it's a song you like and resonate with, it's great. But if it's not, it can be very obtrusive. And that's almost how I feel about it. Now, I have this curiosity about it. I might ask somebody in the future to loan me a piece of Moldavite for a moment and see if it helps me or if it's something that I was overwhelmed with when I was younger or if I'm meant to work with it now. But I also think it's one of those stones that either you vibe with it. Like I could not believe this person had as much Moldavite around their neck as they did. (laughs) I was almost like horrified almost, you know. I respect it. It is very powerful. It's definitely very ET, but I have a a very strong um, apprehension with being too close to it or working with it directly. And I know a lot of other people who feel that. That's a trip because I I have a bowl next to my bed with several crystals and stones in it. And I'll, I'll in the middle of the night, grab one or if I'm meditating, but I cannot have the Moldavite anywhere out. It's in a box closed in another area of my room because it's, it's too intense for it's me. I so can't. It's so intense. It, it's really intense. It's, it's crazy. It's like, I can hear it and taste it and smell it. Just talking about it, you know, just, just connecting with it in this way. Now I have an interesting story. So way back in the day I was in my twenties and this was like, well, after I had discovered that I had this strong sensitivity to the Moldavite and I went to a gem and mineral show, you know, where they get the warehouse and they have all the tables and I was super excited. And I, and I walk in and this place is huge. It has to be a, you know, few thousand square feet of tables and vendors. And as I'm walking into the middle, I just feel this like heaviness, this like buzzing, this density in the air. It does not feel like when you go to gem and mineral shows and it feels like light and airy and playful. It was just getting denser and denser, the deeper into this warehouse that I got. And I didn't know what it was. I'm thinking, what is this warehouse? Is it on bad property? Is there bad things that happened in here? I was like, what is going on? And as I'm contemplating this, thinking I'm kind of going crazy, I turned the corner And there is this man who has this booth and he has these massive, I'm talking like softball and larger size pieces of Moldavite that he has ground down into geometric, like faceted stones. So they look like big diamonds. I have never seen Moldavite that big, nor have I seen it grounded down like that into geometric gemstone shapes. And he had them wrapped and coiled in like quarter inch and half inch copper in these big structures hooked up to a car battery. Oh my God. With the Moldavite in it. And when I turned the corner and saw this, I could literally see the waves of energy. And it looked like this sort of like mustard yellow, just pulses, waves, like this aura that was just radiating off of it. And when I looked at him and he was some tables away, right? And I wasn't actually entirely sure it was Moldavite. But when I turned the corner, I was like, oh, this is where this energy is coming from. And even the man who was in the booth sort of had a weird energy to himself. Like he wasn't very grounded and he almost had a little bit of an agitated energy. And he almost seemed a little like sweaty to me, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, 
gritty, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. But as I'm getting closer to the table and I'm seeing this sort of beautiful art thing that he's done, I don't even know yet that it's Moldavite or it's attached to a battery. And of course I stop, I said, what's going on here? And he tells me, and I just start backing up and backing away. And I don't want to offend this person, but I'm thinking this is so irresponsible. I'm like, what are you doing? You are forcing this on people. What is the purpose of the battery? Was it moving? I don't like, know. He must, or? he must have got some ET download that said to hook this up to electrical source and amplify. Oh. He was amplifying the stone, which I, it, I was offended. I thought it was violating, you know, to force people to experience that stone in that way. I, I know he didn't mean it that way. At the time, that's the way that I felt about it. Um, I felt sick. I felt like I had to leave the entire place and I couldn't even go through the rest of that gem and mineral show because of that. It was so strong right in that. And he was right in the center of everything and it was just radiating out. So these wow. are the memories that I have with Moldavite that trigger me now. So even when I see it now, I go right into this like fight or flight. Oh my gosh, it's too intense. I need to get away from it. That's so interesting because I just assumed with all the ET energy that that you would like it. It's a different um, kind of ET though. I mean, yeah. it's not one of those really high dimensional super yeah. healer type ET and like you said, it it is a stone that's associated with the heart. There is no way in hell that I would ever put that stone anywhere near my heart. You know, our heart is a very, you know, it's our bridge between the, the earthly chakras and the spiritual chakras. And it's a very vulnerable, sensitive space. And to put a Moldavite stone anywhere near my heart just makes me cringe. <laughs> but then there's people who absolutely I know. are thrilled by it. I they, know. I it, I think it has something to do with your soul, your your starseed self, where you come from, what you resonate with. So I I'm not saying this to anybody to freak anybody else out. It just is very challenging stone for me. It is the most number one challenging stone for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So I have been to gym shows before where I've looked at things and I will find a stone and it just does not feel good. And I'll find the same stone that costs much more, but I'll purchase it from where it costs much more. And my husband has been with me and asked me why. Now, whenever we buy a stone, we need to activate it and cleanse it. However, stones magnify energy and pick up energy. So when you're purchasing from a person, like I have been where it's a good quality stone and it's a good price, but it is soaking up the energy of the person selling it. And I do not want to be anywhere near it. And I do not want it in my presence and, until the time that I can get home and cleanse it. So for me, who I purchase my stones from is equally as important as the quality and the price of the stones. I would have to agree. I've definitely ordered stones online and picked up energy from them and felt like that needed to be cleared right away. And then have gotten gifted stones from people who had beautiful altars that they sat on and you could just feel the magic radiating off of them. And I've gotten stones from houses that had a lot of toxic energy and mm -hmm. almost wanted to go chuck it in the ocean the second I got it, but didn't want to be rude, you know, and, and, but my guides have taught me that we can transmute anything. We can heal anything, including ourselves, including the stones. So just know if, if you get something that feels heavy or, you know, it's coming from like a toxic emotionally volatile person or household that you absolutely can clear it and totally purify it and bringing it back into its like natural resonance. Yes. Now, another crystal that has a lot of, I don't know, that's ET power, but a lot of energy is Lemurian seed quartz. 
Now, Lemurian seed quartz, it actually is just a special variety of a clear quartz crystal. It's extremely delicate. They usually come from Brazil. It has kind of horizontal uh, striations in it, and it comes in a few different colors. You can also get Lemurian calcite and Lemurian golden opal, but the Lemurian seed quartz is beautiful. Jude and I both own a piece of this. It is divine feminine energy. It helps us access the ancient Lemurians, also Lemurian awareness, divinity, and it's believed that the Lemurians use this stone and that they left this crystal behind for us to find to help assist us and awaken us to higher planes of existence. And it has this delicate, soft, loving, kind of etherical, dreamlike energy for me when I, when I utilize it. It takes me, it doesn't shoot me like Maldivite into another dimension. It kind of allows me this gentle access to other dimensions. And with Jude and I, our experience with the Lemurians, we both have a lot of trust with that. And Lemurian wisdom um, seems to make a lot of sense to us. And we're comfortable with that. And we've had visitations. So this is something that I don't use on a daily basis, but I do utilize it when I am wanting to connect multiple multidimensionally, but in kind of a softer, more gentle way. What say you on that, Jude? I have to agree with you on everything you said about those Lemurian seed crystals. They're just super magical. In fact, I remember the very first time I even touched a Lemurian seed crystal back in the early 2000s when they were all the rage. It was like the brand new stone. I've been I've been in the, the crystal world for quite a while. So I remember the times when new stone, not that they're new, they've been around for millions of years, but when it became sort of the new trendy stone, like it came out and nobody's really mm -hmm. seen them. And when I remember when those Lemurian seed crystals started getting passed around a lot. And uh, I always associated it with this sort of like otherworldly magic in them. And I, I wish I had more of those actually. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting about crystals is not only when we have the actual stones and we're working with them, it's about the land that we're in. And as Patty said, a lot of, you know, the, the earth underneath us has gemstones and minerals interlaced within it. Maybe you don't even realize that some of the rocks that you're just seeing have a lot of like quartz in them. They might not look like the quartz points and, but that the actual structure, the crystalline structure of that quartz is in the rock. And you'll find that a lot of uh, portal sites and a lot of really spiritually charged places have an abundance of quartz or some kind of gemstone or mineral in them, which helps amplify the energies almost without fail. If you go somewhere that's a strong portal site, you might find that there's an abundance of a specific mineral there that is probably amplifying that energy, which made me think about the big island because it's interesting that you you mentioned that in the beginning that Hawaii has this lava rock that comes up and it doesn't have the time to formulate these really intricately woven crystalline structures within it. It just sort of becomes what it becomes. And Hawaii, there's like all these different Hawaiian names to describe the different textures and qualities of this lava that comes up, whether it's like smooth or light and crackly or glassy, you know, all of them have these different terminologies. But lava rock in general is a grounding stone because it comes from the depths of the earth. Earth and it and it can invoke creativity because the actual act of lava coming up and turning into the stone is earth birthing itself. So that energy of rebirth, healing, raw energy, shedding and revealing new layers, it can be a very healing and transformative stone. And 
living on the big island, it's mostly, or at least in the area I was in, it's mostly all black lava rock. It's tons of it. So it created that very strong healing vortex, which was very raw and very intense and sometimes very in your face. I feel like just as the lava comes up from these hidden layers deep within the earth, there's almost this sense of like those deeper layers within your own spirit body, always having to be revealed, always coming up. It's just like with this pressure, with this velocity and this force, almost one after another, after another. So living on the big Island for me was this uh, very transformative and very revealing experience of being shown aspects of my shadow over and over and over again for me to address and deal with. And I also saw this reflected in the community there. I think that there's a lot of people who are constantly and always dealing with shadow aspects of themselves. And it's hard work on a spiritual level to live in lava and live in that area. And then you add to it that I said that there was these little olivine or peridot stones peppered in within the lava rock, which is also a, a transformative and a stone that works with helping to release emotional blocks. So speaking from experience of having lived in that area of that geology, it's like it was incredibly emotionally intense. And in the period of time I was there, I think I had more healing but it was that hard kind of schooling type healing that I've had um, over there. Or like when I went to Machu Picchu, which I told some of the stories there on the last podcast, had a lot of quartz interlaced within the rocks of Machu Picchu, which was very amplifying and very lifting and very transcendental. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to look into what the earth is made up of in the area that you live in the experiences that you have. That's so interesting. And I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about obsidian, which is volcanic rock. So this might be a good time to do that. Obsidian is actually molten lava that has cooled super rapidly that turns into this glass-like substance. Now I love obsidian. I sleep with, I have a window above my head. A lot of people don't like that. I really like having a window, sleeping in a window. And in the windowsill, I have two huge chunks of obsidian because I believe they kind of catch any shit that's coming in the window before it gets to my crown chakra. And I, I cleanse them pretty regularly. But I had a guide that actually showed up in the last I don't know, maybe five years, um, that showed up as a piece of obsidian. And I actually call her obsidian. And the work that I've done with her has been really unique and different. Obsidian is a stone that really works as a strong psychic protection. It's very like Jude, like you were saying, it's very grounding, but also very spiritual, very clearing. It opens up spiritual communication. It helps clear attachments. So this guide shows up for me and, it, and that, that's what she does for me. She helps clear things. She helps me communicate, but um, helps clear any psychic attacks or psychic blocks. And so obsidian is a stone that I use quite a bit because I have this lovely guide that has come through as a stone. That's interesting because one of my uh, main guides is who I call soul, which was the name that you helped me discover, but she's been seen by not only me, but multiple intuitive people around me. And I've seen her too. And she's just like a ball of light. But she's my only guide that would be not without form or some sort of like humanoid or something kind of a form that I could say. So it's interesting that you and I have both a guide, but yours is a black stone and mine's a light, <laughs> which is so fitting. It's so, so fitting. fitting. Well, I have a question with something that I've been inadvertently working with lately in its pearls. Would you consider pearls a gemstone or a mineral? 
you're looking it up. <laughs> I'm I'm Googling it because I have no idea. Well, you know, okay. So the pearls are an irritant that gets inside of an oyster basically. And then I think they have like a secretion. So it's something that's coming from the oyster that kind of calcifies around the irritant. So I imagine it makes some sort of like slow building structure to it that would be similar to a gemstone. Listen what does this. Google say? Oh. Pearl are made up of little overlapping platelets of the mineral aragonite. Mm. I have aragonite. I had no idea it had anything to do with pearls. A calcium carbonate that crystallizes in the orthohomic system. The pearl itself is made up of a mineral. Its organic origin excludes it from being included with minerals, though. Interesting. So that doesn't okay. answer your question. So, no, but it does. Um because the oyster itself is secreting its own minerals and calcifying it around the grain of sand or the irritant. So, but on a scientific, we're not going to categorize it, but it does have its own metaphysical properties. I looked it up. The pearl represents innocence, faith, integrity, sincerity, wisdom. It's very soothing. It's very calming. It's very nurturing. The funny thing for me though, is um, I wouldn't normally gravitate towards pearl. I never had a draw to it, but I had been gifted a Tahitian pearl on a bracelet for Christmas and I've been wearing it. I don't know if I align with it so much. I find myself continuously bothered <laughs> by the pearls. And I wonder if it's because it's too soft and too calming and too gentle. And I sort of have that kind of fierce, like action, like, you know, intensity about me. And so I'm bringing this up because a lot of the times the medicine we need is the thing that we find we have a uh, aversion to. So if something bothers us, it's because it's, it's actually moving the thing that needs to be moved, the irritant, you know, maybe my impatience and my aggravation at times and my frustration. And so it's working against making that feel a little bit more irritated or amplified. So I'm going to continue wearing my pearls, but I also wanted to point that out that sometimes you might find an aversion to something because it is the thing that you actually really need, which is what brings me back to that Moldavite again, is why I really needed some emotional clearing in my younger years and was not able to handle that. So that's why I'm curious about working with it again, potentially in the future. So yeah, interesting learning something about yeah. the pearls. And I agree with you. Sometimes what we have an aversion to is what we need, but sometimes we will be drawn to things like you might be somebody that hates pearls. And all of a sudden you're like, I need a pearl. I'm going to start wearing pearls. Something might've shifted and pearls are your medicine now, you know, or they're going to help balance something out. So it's important to pay attention to the things you're drawn to and the things you're repelled by. Um, and I would meditate on it if it seems interesting and see what it has to say. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Andaras a little bit. Now, Andaras are big here in California because they are found in the Sierra Nevada mountains, which is where Mount Shasta is, and also in South Africa. They look just like pieces of glass. A lot of people say that that's what they are, that they are garbage from a glass dump that people sell and you know state that they have magical qualities. However, I know of a lot of very psychic people and healers that I respect highly that use Andaras and swear by them. 
So they are this glass-like mineral complex that are believed to have metaphysical properties. They are believed to be extremely high vibrational and frequency, help us connect with higher energy vortexes, healing. They help open the chakras, balance the DNA. If people use them connecting with light codes and they help us access ancient wisdom, expansion and connection with fifth dimensional energies. Now, We've talked earlier about how you can hold a crystal and you know, decide that you feel something from it. Your, your hand gets warm, it vibrates, you feel an energy surge, or you can feel nothing. It's the same things with Andaras. I have held them and got absolutely nothing and thought, no, this is glass. And then I was gifted one by a client that is amazing. And it's become one of my most treasured crystals. It is a clear crystal. It's called a uh, clear andara, excuse me. And I believe it's called an angelic andara and it glows. Now it's not like it reflects the light or it takes on the light coming into the room. It actually glows. It has this iridescent glow to it. And it kind of freaks me out to be honest, because I've never seen anything like it. It feels like it's a little angel sitting on my desk here. It has such a high vibrational frequency that it's hard to deny it. Now, maybe it's an Andara, maybe it's not an Andara. Andaras come in every color you could possibly think of. It is believed that they are um, a natural glass similar to obsidian and moldavite, but that they have this, there's a word from monatomic, which means it's a single atom, but it has a combination of this rare combination of 70 different minerals. It's believed that they were found by a native woman, you know, way back when, and she discovered the magical properties of it. And they're not easily found like in crystal stores, but there are places certainly in Mount Shasta and you can order them online. So I have kind of a mixed feeling about it because like I said, if it wasn't for this one piece that I have, I would doubt that they're real, but I would say that it isn't something that I have worked with or something that works for me. Although again, I know a lot of people, very psychic people that utilize them and swear by them. So Jude, do you own any Andaras? Have you had much contact with them? I own no Andaras, but I have been around them and I don't want to speak badly about them, but they did nothing for me. I felt like you, like I held them and I was like, I don't know. This feels like glass to me. And having said that, I collect glass, colored glass, oddly me enough. Me too. Me too. I love colored glass. I don't I care if it's glass or Andara. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a collection of goblets that I've been collecting for years and years of like every goblets. color. Yeah. And um, I love colored glass. I love the, the, the light that shines through it, you know, and but when I was presented in Daros as a magical healing stone, I think I had a big expectation because it had been like built up with this big story. And then it was handed to me. And I was like, wah, wah. I was like, yeah. I don't know. Am I missing something now? I'm not saying I I'm a hard no on them. I just, I guess I was just confused. I think that I'm still on the fence with the Andaros because I have not had, like you, you said, you have this one stone, which when I come out there this summer, I would love to experience that stone. Yeah. And I just haven't had anything that really jumped out or spoke to me. And then the other aspect of it is because it is glass. It's one of those things that it's not like gemstones where, you know, you're getting an authentic stone. Like, I think mm -hmm. there's just so much air of, 
of question of where it was sourced from and how it actually got to you that bothers me a little bit with them. But I, like you, know people that I respect that love Indaras, that work with them, and I believe them and I trust them. Me mm -hmm. personally, I'm still on the fence about it. I'm still on okay. the fence. But even if it was just me utilizing different colors, pieces of glass to harness different frequencies and energies, and even if it was presented to me just as that, I would be like, oh yeah, I could totally see how just utilizing color. I use pieces of fabric to invoke different frequencies in my healing work. So glass, even better, yeah. you know, and Dara's sure crystals. Yeah. All of it. I I'm down with all of it. I'm not definitely not against it, but I'm still waiting to have my like super magical Indara experience that like totally captivates me. Great. All right. As far as activating and cleansing, I'm curious what your process is with that. Um, intention is everything first and foremost, just holding a stone and filling it with love and light. That's the very first thing that I will do. Water is a huge, even if it's under the sink of a normal city water is better than nothing at all. But I, of course, prefer fresh water or even salt water, which you should be mindful and do your research because some certain stones can't go in the water. But I, I, there's something as soon as that stone touches water, I can almost feel it like giving a sigh of relief, like, oh, like, oh so good. Thank you. Um, sand. I'm, uh, you know, living in Hawaii. I love burying them in the sand, putting them outside for a little while even burying them a little bit or bunching them all together with a whole bunch of other stones, putting them in salt. But as I said, certain minerals don't react well with the sun and salt and water. So do your research and find out what works well with certain stones, but yeah, smudging them, spraying them, essential oils, you know, all the things I've noticed, actually, I just set up my new studio and I had a couple boxes of crystals that have been packed away for the last couple of years. And I opened them up and I immediately felt so much good energy off of them. And I was picking up the imprints of the work that had been done in my previous studio. So all of those crystals that had been sitting around had been charged by the sound and charged by the healings and they were still holding that frequency. So I didn't actually feel like I needed to go take them to the ocean and reset them. I actually felt like they had such a really good charge in them already, but in my own home where, where I'm a little bit more loose and not totally all shanti shanti in every moment. And, you know, I get frustrated and I'm dealing with things and stress at home. I definitely feel like I got to cleanse my crystals in my own house. Uh, every once in a while, I'll just go through and clean everything and reset the altar and, and take a tray outside and let them sit out under the moon or the stars and do a whole ritual around them. Do you do anything different um, in activating versus cleansing, or is it basically the same process for you? I guess I guess cleansing and activating go hand in hand baseline, but I guess activations could be very specific. If I was going to harness a specific astrological energy or a specific you know, area of Kauai, like I, I want some Polahale energy or I want some North Shore energy. Yeah, that'd be a different kind of activation. Yeah. But I, if I'm clearing, I'm activating too, which is just, you know, like entering a light code within the, within the stone to like make it shine, make it bright and make it clear again. Nice. I kind of agree with you there. I, I pretty much cleanse anything that I bring home. You know, even if I buy a piece of clothing, I have to wash it and it has to sit 
for a week, at least a week to 10 days before I can wear it. You know, I can't just buy a piece of clothes and put it on. I have to clear it. If I purchase any jewelry, I smudge it. I'm really, really picky. I'm so sensitive that I'm super picky about my energy. So when I bring a crystal home, the minute I walk in the door with that, I usually smudge it immediately because it may not be the right moon cycle to cleanse it outside, or I may not have time to go bury it, but I cleanse things immediately. As far as activating, I will, like you said, it's all about purpose and intent. You know, I may activate something to work in a different way than I'm activating a different stone. I like to take them and hold them to my heart and, and like, you know, kind of introduce myself and kind of set the intention that it's um, a tool for me and that we're working in alignment with one another and working harmoniously together. That is how I activate them. And then as far as cleansing goes, I don't do any regular cleansing. Like I don't keep like a spreadsheet of how long it's been since my last tourmaline was cleansed. But if I pick something up and it feels super warm or it feels heavy, like I'll just get that hit like, oh, this needs to be cleansed. I just go by my intention with that. And then also you need to be careful about putting things out in the sun. I don't put any of my crystals out in the sun because I'm too lazy to research each and every one of them to find out which ones are safe. Same with salt water. You know, things like amethyst. I have a beautiful amethyst that I had in the windowsill that looks almost like a clear quartz now. It will fail in a matter of no time whatsoever. Rose quartz fades really quickly too. And so I'm smoke. I will bury it in incense or in a, a blend of herbs, but 99% of the time I'm using some kind of, of herbal fragrance smoke to cleanse it personally. Yeah, I definitely don't have a set schedule. It's definitely when I've noticed that my stones are looking a little sad and overwhelmed. And I'll be like, okay, like they're almost begging me, like, please give us a bath. And I'll be like, all right, I'll do it. And then, and that's when I'll usually do my big cleansing. Um, but another thing I really like to use is my sound healing instruments, like the tuning forks oh, and the crystal nice. singing bowls. Yes, that definitely is very, the, the crystals really resonate with like the tuning forts and the crystal singing bowls specifically. So I really so like do to you, use those. Do you put them inside your singing mm -hmm. bowl and then, oh, I'm going to do that. Like I, I have a big one part. and I'll put down like a little like piece of fabric, you know, just to give it a little bit of cushion and just, you know, sing the bowl around it. Or I will do some circles with my tuning forks over the crystals and you can feel it. And I can feel the sort of like the static and the sludge coming off of crystals that have been overwhelmed by energy when I use those tuning forks. I wanted to share um, two books that I use pretty regularly. They're both by Robert Simmons. One is called The Book of Stones. It's by Robert Simmons and Natasha Hassian. I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. And it's like a Bible of stones. It's huge. You can look up any crystal you could possibly think of is going to be in there. It will state what chakras aligned with its metaphysical properties, the different types of things that it heals. And then in that book, Robert Simmons and Natasha each talk about their experiences with that specific stone. And then he put a second one out that was gifted to me called Stones of the New Consciousness. And it has far fewer stones in the book, but he goes much more into depth on their metaphysical properties, the experiences that he personally has had with them, uh, the different spiritual connections these stones can open up for you. I use them as research, but they're just, it's just interesting and fascinating. Sometimes I'll just go and open it randomly to a page and read on it. And I might go buy myself a stone that came to me in that way. So I would highly suggest those and I will post the names of them on um, our Instagram. Yeah, a good gemstone reference book is a must have for any witchy library. 
I remember back in the day, <laughs> there was a book called Love is in the Earth by a woman named Melody, and she only went by Melody. And it was like the Bible back in the day. It was the pretty much only metaphysical resource for crystals. You know, if there were more, there wasn't many, and that was the most well-known one. And sometimes now when I mention this, because I'm so old school, people are like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but there was a time when everybody knew that book. Everybody owned that book. It was like the Be Here Now book. Like everybody owned it. And um, I actually got my crystal healing certification from her program. Oh, cool. Um, and learned about crystal healing and understanding the structure of stones and how to work with its current to move energy. It was a really awesome experience. But point being is now there are so many great books out there. There's such an abundance and, and a wealth of information out there. And I'm definitely going to check out those books that you suggested. They're great. And Jude, before we close up, I wanted to ask you about crystal grids. I was just, this I is, was looking at the crystal grids on my notes right here. It's oh, there so we funny. go. Yeah. I'm psychic. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I haven't really utilized them in the past and I know that you do. So I would love to hear you talk about them a little bit. I love making crystal grids. I think it's just such a portal. It's making like a super concentrated vortex of energy. So just as like a basic primer for you all, like if you're taking a natural quartz point, from the base to its natural point, there's like a current of energy that moves in that direction. So it's best to work with raw natural quartz points. A lot of times when you get the polished ones, they might just cut them out and make them seem like they're pointing one way that doesn't actually go with the structure of the stone. So I recommend getting the natural stones that you know clearly where the point is. And obviously if you get a double terminated one, it would move in both directions. So I like using quartz points to help point energy and direct energy. And you can do this with crystal healing too. Like if you have pain in your body, you can utilize these stones around your physical body to move that energy out. And then in the same sense, also move energy in working with other stones with their metaphysical properties to move or transfer or amplify any of the energies. And I see like crystal grids is just like a, a, a portal. You're just creating a portal. It's a, a, a mini portal. You activate it with your intention, with whatever you have in the middle of that crystal grid, you know, whether you put something for abundance or protection or healing or clarity or, or it can be whatever you want it to be. Like I just made a crystal grid that's going to be on a table that's sitting between me and my clients when I start seeing them. And I've set the intention that this is going to sort of clear the lens between me and my clients and take any excess energy that I don't want to be taking and just sweep it out. So I can see it, but it's not ever going to touch me. It's never going to get to me. It's going to kind of take that energy clear out. And so far, anybody that's come in and seen that crystal grid is like, whoa, <laughs> they can feel like it's intensity coming from that. So I have a question. Do you set an intention as or prior to building your crystal grid, or do you build a crystal grid as you're called and then set an intention? For me, I know why I'm doing it. In my mind's eye, I can already see the portal and I already know what the activation I want it to be. So as I'm building it, I already like I'm willing it to be that. And then after I've completed it, I'll smudge it or I'll charge it with sound and I'll really focus on what I want it to be. That's how I do it. I don't think there's any like specific protocol, you know, maybe you could just put one together and not make any sense of it, but it'll still do something for you. When we build our house, we're about to build our house. I'm going to be putting crystals 
in the walls around the whole house. This was an idea that I got from somebody else, but I was like, of course, like just make the whole house a big crystal grid. So in all the walls, I'm going to put crystal points all the way around. So I'll be like living in the crystal grid. I don't know that you would call it a crystal grid. It's out of stones. It's at my front porch and they're inlaid in concrete, but they make a design and it kind of works like that as well. And in addition to being beautiful, I think, and being an art piece, it kind of works as for me, clearing energy as people step over it before they come into my house. So I can see kind of, I I feel like I might've done that kind of non-intentionally a little bit there. Oh, totally. And you got to think too, it's, you know, right before people walk into your house, they get to look at this kind of beautiful thing and be like, oh, like, it's just already going to lift them into like, that's beautiful, or that's interesting, or they're maybe even impressed by it. And so it totally changes their frequency before they walk through the door. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And that was informative for you. So you can start exploring and working with crystals more and find what works and resonates with you. We have a few little announcements to make. We have just released as of today, this recording day, a little mini retreat that we're going to be doing in Northern California in Willow Creek on July 23rd and 24th. If you've listened to this podcast early enough, there may still be openings and you can visit our Instagrams. Mine is Align and Shine Kauai and there's Spirit Speakers Podcast Instagram and then Patty's is Wing and Ether and there's links in our bios that will lead you right to the webpage that describes what's going to be happening at these retreats, how much it costs, how to sign up and register. And then come October, we are in the workings of finalizing the details of another retreat. So if you are in the Midwest area or are willing to travel to the Midwest, we have a beautiful, what is it going to be? Two or three days long retreat there? Three days, I believe. Three days, three days of a retreat on a beautiful 22 acre property in the Midwest. So that's really centralized for the U.S. And I know we have a lot of listeners out there. So hopefully we're going to see you at that one and we will be releasing registrations for that over the next couple months. Doing the treats together is something new for Jude and I, and we have some amazing, talented healers that are joining us um, at both retreats, which is going to be super fun and magical. Well, thank you so much for listening. We love our spiritual community. We appreciate all of the positive feedback that you give us. Our next episode is our yearly Q&A, and I've already collected a lot of questions for that off of our Instagram. If you have any questions that you would like us to address, you can email us, send us a DM on Instagram or comment, and we will do our best to get to those. We always keep the sender and the question asker incognito so that nobody has to be embarrassed by anything they ask. And go ahead and be bold and just put it out there and we'll do our best to answer it. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for your comments and your positive feedback on all of our listening platforms. Until next time, aloha. Take care.